When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. I'm your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 78. And as we say every week, if you'd like to listen to us and support us, please feel free to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether whether it is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a review and a nice rating and all of that. So now with the plugs out of the way, we will talk about a Juventus win, which I don't know if the performance was all that much better than last week, but at least we get to talk about a win and not a disappointing draw. So the people who will be talking with me about that today, Sam LaPresse, hello, Sam. Hello, Danny. How's things going? Oh, it's going okay. And we've got our uh, our Vegas vacationer, Mr. Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Welcome back. Yeah, I'm back, uh, back with a bang. Glad to be back. And yeah, Vegas is quite the place. <laughs> like I was saying uh, before we started recording, it's, uh, I mean, the place never sleeps. I mean, it, it, it quite, quite frankly never sleeps. But uh, yeah, if there are any people from Vegas uh, listening, um, thank you for welcoming me to your humble uh, city. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Great people, just very, you know, open-minded people. And just, uh, yeah, had a very good time. And I was there for my... Uh, while we were celebrating my fiance's birthday and her best friend's birthday who lives there. So a lot of birthdays and a lot of fun. Las Vegas is anything but humble. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just... <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the follow-up question, Chucks, is in the city that never sleeps, did you actually sleep? Uh, very little, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very little. Did definitely catch up on me at, uh, in like the, I don't know, fourth or fifth day. We were there for... Uh, five or six days so yeah definitely did <laughs> catch up the new yorker in the room takes umbrage to the idea that the city that doesn't sleep is something else yeah a lot of people in this country never sleep apparently so <laughs> yeah i'm learning new things every day that's right well we will we'll talk about chuck's returning in maybe more detail later on but right now we'll focus our attention on juventus actually getting a win like we said a few minutes ago and this time in it, we, we're getting unique situations here. We had Juventus arriving via boat last weekend, and now we get Juventus playing in a fog that is so hard to see what is actually happening. It made the job for Samuel and myself trying to actually recount the game in words rather difficult, I might say. So, Chucks, since you weren't around this this past week, what is your takeaway from this week? Yeah, it definitely was uh, difficult to see much. Well, my takeaway is that Mother Nature um, has uh, does not wait for any of us, does not spare any of us for any uh, football be damned. It uh, will not wait. Uh, no, but my real takeaway is, uh, yeah, seeing uh, Moise Keane playing what seems to be, from what I could tell, again, from the fog, it was a little difficult, but uh, from what I could tell, he was indeed basically permanently stationed on the left wing, uh, in indeed what seemed to be a 4-3-3, quite remarkably. And of course, that was interesting. We haven't seen him play there since, from what I could say, since his Italy days, or yeah, since playing um, consistent minutes for Italy. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe finally we have a plan B um, for the team. Right now, the plan A seems to be a 4-4-2, uh, whether it be that kind of dysfunctional 4-4-2 with uh, Adrien Rabio on the left uh, which obviously none of us like, and the more traditional 4-4-2 where we actually have two wingers and then Dybala and Morata, which works much better. So that kind of seems to be our plan A. But um, I think, you know, the takeaway from the game against Bologna was like, okay, maybe we do have a plan B, which could be a 4-3-3 and a slightly lopsided one, but 4-3-3 with Moise Keane on the left and Bernadeschi slash well, when he's fit again. Uh, Chiesa on the right or or maybe even left it as well, depending on kind of what Allegri wants to do there. And yeah, I mean, that, that it, I thought it worked reasonably well. I mean, first half, second half, not, you know, we were kind of 
worse second half. But I thought, okay, well, here we have something that at least maybe we can surprise other teams with. And um, if if Dybala needs a rest, for instance, this is a formation that could work, giving Dybala uh, a breather and uh, still putting Keen, Moise Keen in the in the in the lineup. And uh, yeah, like I said, with one kind of out and out winger, which is I kind of like four three threes like that with one out and out winger and one kind of inside forward gives you a little more balance, a little more unpredictability. Um, so yeah, who knows? Uh, maybe that's going to be uh, tried more often. And I think that's Moise Keen plays or did play better on that position than in his uh, center forward position that he's played uh, for us so far this season. Cause I don't think he's impressed so much there. So uh, yeah, who knows? We'll see. Uh, see it more often. You got Samuel. I got injuries suck. Like right. Yeah, as they do. Right. As Luca Pellegrini is really coming into his own in this team, he ends up coming off with, with what, what, what didn't what looked like something that wasn't pleasant. And, you know, fortunately with the Christmas break coming, maybe he'll be able to you know, just shake it off. Even if he, you know, if he has to miss the game against Cagliari, um, you know, maybe shake it off by the time he plays not, we play Napoli uh, because quite frankly, I, I kind of think he's the superior left back on this team right now. Uh, and to miss him would, would be a, a bit of a detraction. And then of course you've got just yet another game without Dybala, yet another game without Chiesa, yet another game without Danilo, you know, it's, it's, it injuries are, are unfun. And they are, and and really are kind of holding, you know, in 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 a sense, they are probably really holding this team back. And it would be really nice to see Federico Chiesa in this four three three that got cooked up, or the four two three one along with DiBala. I'd really like to see that. I'd really like to see what could happen with those guys in those formations. So hopefully they'll all be back ready to go by the uh, by the new year, and we look in a different and more full strength squad by the time we run this mass gauntlet for the first two months of 2022 that is really the unfortunate part of all this and i'll I'll just i'll as chucks and sergio like to say i'll tease a little bit later my takeaway is actually the juventus women and what they did this past week so we will talk about that to to conclude things but for the men's side of the equation i think that the injuries really and when i was writing the preview for, for for the bologna game I mean, it, it felt like I had as long of a team news update as as I've ever had, whether it was players coming back or players being injured. And I mean, you just look at the starters that weren't there. Obviously, Dybala, no Chiesa, no Danilo. Manuel Locatelli was called up, but he was just barely back from his own issues. Uh, Weston McKinney just back. And then obviously, like you said, Sam Pellegrini, gets injured in the second half and has to be subbed out for Alexandro. And it's just like, man, the, the team needs everything to go right for it right right now. And it's just one hit after another. And I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I know we've been hard on Allegri and, and he deserves a, a good portion of the criticism, but man, he just, <laughs> he can't get very, very many good things to come his way right now. And it's just, I don't know. It, it, it seems like the experimenting has really, almost been kicked into overdrive just because of what injuries have happened. I mean, did we expect Kyle George to be playing so many minutes last week? No. Did we, you know, do we expect Arthur to be playing all that much when it looks like he's about to leave? No. And it's just, yeah, it's one thing after another with this damn team. Yeah. And, and, and you, you, you say, talk about, you know, Max and, and, and us bashing him on the, on his tactical choices and stuff. Muscle injuries are kind of sort of a fact of life with Max. Like that goes back to his days. With, and it's also a fact of life with the game in general these days, right? That, that, is, that, that is very true. But there are teams and coaches that do it, that handle it better than others. It's like just off the top of my head, notwithstanding the, the COVID outbreak that's just ripping through all the English clubs right now. I don't hear a lot about major muscle injuries to big players on a team like Liverpool. And they have a much more crowded fixture schedule than we do because they have two cup competitions. But you look at, you know, Allegri's history going back all the way to his days at AC Milan, like muscle injuries were a thing. You know, it kind of, you know, it, it kind of derailed Stefan al Sharawi's career because he kind of knocked him into next week that first year he was there. And it just kind of, th- that thing kind of seems to follow him. I don't know if it's just his training methods, the 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 guys that he brings in as athletic trainers and and physios to 
their methods aren't quite quite that great, but it, it just it seems to follow him around in a in a larger and and like I was like Sergio and I were talking about also last week during that with that Twitter question about Dybala, the fact that the the, the just massed fixture congestion since uh, the since COVID re, since the COVID restart and frankly just you know even normally this is I mean this is a completely normal scheduled season as opposed to the the way we had to finish 2019-20 and start 2021 how how far into 2022 are we going to go without a, a, a full week off assuming that you we advance in the Coppa Italia as far as we can like it's gonna it I, I don't think they have a I don't think there's a week without a without a midweek fixture until March yeah it, it's going to be a while uh, I mean so one of my close friends one of my closest friends is a AC Milan fan and uh well <laughs> he tells me about the injury issues and those are just endless endless barrage of injuries they've had since i mean at least a year and a half two seasons now that they've had just never ending avalanche of, of injuries to the point where it's like you know in the beginning it's okay bad luck but then it's it's if it's that long that systematic it's it's a pattern it's there's something wrong with how you're running your club or your your medical department anyway I always think I always keep it in perspective, like, well, at least we don't have like, you know, he always jokes like, well, we only had six players injured uh, this week. So that's a that's a below average <laughs> number. But yeah, in terms of Juve. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the injuries thing. It's obviously frustrating, but at least I the only long term injuries we have so far um, are well, Danilo, he was out for what is it, two months uh, when when he got injured. So I guess he has like another month or month a little bit. Uh, left Chiesa who's also for a month but he's also been burning th- I mean he's also had a non-stop schedule for uh, quite a while now yeah Chiesa Danilo uh, Dybala has obviously been kind of a touch and go so we don't exactly know how that's going but for the rest I mean yeah we've had injuries but they've been very like you know a week here a week two weeks there um, I mean yeah I can't think of any besides that any long-term injuries we've had so I, I mean I count myself or I count us lucky in that regard that at least, okay, we, if we have injuries, we have, you know, seven, 10 days here and there, at least they're back relatively quickly. So that's encouraging at least. I think, well, just to kind of maybe not to be too harsh on uh, Allegri slash, you know, the medical team uh, at Juve, but uh, nevertheless, I mean, it's still frustrating. And earlier, you know, we had the excuse of saying, okay, COVID, Due to COVID fixture congestion, it was, I mean, there were, what, three games in 10 days or something at, at, at this point, like last season and stuff, which, I mean, it was just asinine stuff. It was really quite ridiculous. But now things are at least, at least in Italy, as you said, you know, Sam, in, in the Premier League, uh, it's still quite chaotic there. But at least in Italy, the schedule, yes, is congested, but at least it's not as crazy as it was last season. It's also, just to, to touch on, I mean... I, I remember I, I talked about it, this particular quote a couple of weeks ago, but right when they were doing the finals for the UEFA Nations League in October, Thibaut Courtois on Belgium was was quoted as basically wondering why the hell Belgium and Italy had to play a third place game, given how how congested the fixture list is. Why are they being forced to play a game that really doesn't matter? We all know the answer is television money, but you know he didn't say the quiet part out loud. But players are feeling it, and they're... And, and, and I think they're starting to get a little upset about it. You know, it's just, you know, these guys are, these guys are flesh and bone. They gotta, you know, you've got to give them a, a break some at some point. And it's, and you know, one of the things about Juventus in particular, I mean, we aren't having the, the, the mass of injuries that guys like that, that teams like Milan or, and Napoli as well uh, have been having. We're also not particularly deep, which is a big, which, you know, comes back to the, the issues that the previous front office slash current front office has had when it comes to team building, you know, in, you know, in the middle, in the, the prime part of Allegri's first tenure, there was an eight, there was a team one and a team two at Juventus depth wise. And the drop-off was not that significant. You know, there could, you know, you could look at being like, okay, here's the champions league team. Here's the league team. And you'd probably still win the Scudetto. Some of that probably had to do with the fact that the, the, that Serie A was, was still had not caught up to the point that they are now, but you know, there, there isn't the quality of depth in this team that we were kind of spoiled with 
when it was really at it, at the, at its height in the streak. And that's making the loss of guys like Chiesa and Dybala a lot more difficult to weather this time through. And just from the Bologna game itself, I mean, obviously it was, it is what it is. I think, I think Sam and I both put it in our respective recaps. Hey, three points is three points. And it wasn't pretty at all, but it's three points in this team needs those three points as as bad as they ever have this season. And I, I really think that, you know, this team is as much as we want them to play well, they just need to get results at this point. And unfortunately, you know, we've got a couple of week break coming up and that could be looked at as a good thing or a bad thing, whether it, you know, this team needs a serious break or if we want them to really try and get some, some consistent play going, but in any in either way, it's just like, look, you know, this team is not playing well. You know, they're they're coming off a disappointing draw last weekend. They didn't play well this weekend. And now it, it's kind of like in games where we pretty much figured it would be a lock for them to get a good result. Now it's like, well, what, you know, what's going on? And I, I think we're at the point now where it's pretty much just grinding out results every single time, unless you know, they hit lightning in a bottle and win by, you know, three or four goals, which obviously ain't happening much these days. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, right now, it right now it's about winning ugly and, you know, any, any way you can. And if it's ugly, then it's like, it's gotta be ugly. And this, you know, this one was particularly ugly also just because like you were saying that fog was something else. Like that was look, looked like something like something out of a silent Hill game. I know my it, it eyesight was, is not very good at all, but I could not see. Oh no! You combine was, Juventus wearing the wearing the the main jerseys and then the fog being just just completely blanketing the field at times. And yeah, God, that like was, there was that was a there horrible was a point, watch. There was a point around halftime where it looked to be lifting. Yes, and then by the middle of the second half, it just like blanketed stuff again. It reminds me a little bit of I think it was the first leg of the the. Copa, the last Copa Italia that Allegri won against Atalanta uh, in the semifinal, there was a similar fog issue for that game. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the, I, I'm pretty sure it was, it was that game, but it's, you know, it's unusual. And, you know, like they were saying on the commentary, they were, you know, there were serious thought of, of postponing this game. It, it must've been a little easier to see down on field level as opposed to where the cameras were, but it's tough to, it's tough to imagine being able to do much in the way of trying to get the ball long and seeing if if somebody can chase it, which really is a big part of the way Juve usually counterattacks. You've got a guy like Bonucci or Locatelli who can just kind of release a long ball and then you've got your guys chasing it. That really kind of wasn't a thing this time because I'm pretty sure if you kicked the ball high enough, you didn't know where the hell it was going. That said, they they did enough. They were clinical enough with their chances. I did like what uh, to to touch on what Chucks was saying on his takeaway, I did like Kane on that left side. It is where he played a lot for PSG last year when he was on loan there from Everton. And it it reminds me a bit of Mario Mandzukic when he was out there. You know, he'd, he'd wreck people's days. He'd have a lot of energy going forward and back uh, and also would be a really good target kind of cutting in and, and, uh, pretend, and, for, you know, I'd like to see him kind of cut in, draw a fullback across with him and have, be able to go up into the air against a fullback the way Manzukic I mean, Manzukic would just destroy the fullbacks of Serie A with, uh, with those. I felt so, you know, you'd feel bad for guys. I remember there was one, it was an intergame. I think it was, it was at the, uh, the year that Asamoa played with them and he just utterly ruined Asamoah's night, like just just out muscled him, and he did the same thing to to Alessandro Florenzi. I'd I'd like to see that a little more. I still do think he has he has the potential to do both to play the, as the wing and as the number nine. And when you get your big wingers like Chiesa back and you get Danilo back, then you have a, a decision to make because if you're going to go with a four two three one or a four three three, and you've got Danilo back. That means you're playing Chiesa on one side and Quadrado is available to be on the right. You kind of want Quadrado on the field at all times right now, if you, you know, so long as he doesn't need the rest. Um, so that's going to be an interesting proposition to see where he'll play. But it, it's, it, that's a, that was a good, a good thing to see. 
beyond that, I mean, look, I get we're I get we're injured. I get we're we're not at a hundred percent strength physically or mentally right now. But to be seeding sixty percent possession to Bologna for the game and basically, and by the by the middle of the second half, pretty much weathering a siege. I mean, there wasn't a the kind of game where Chesney was making save after save after save, but there were so many. I wrote this in my recap. There were so many moments. I know it, it happened to Rabio at least twice. I think it happened to Artur at least once, where they Juve were giving the ball away within steps of their box. And it was only by the grace of God that Bologna wasn't good enough to take advantage of those moments and, and wipe the goal off. Because then again, I don't think we, you know, if we had given up an equalizer before Quadrado scored the second goal, I don't think we would have been able to pick ourselves up off the mat and, and, and go for a winner because that's just kind of the way things have gone when that's happened this year, you know, Bologna certainly played with a lot of energy and they knew what they were trying to do. And, Allegri let them play and I'm it, it's you know it's one thing if you want to do that against a team like Napoli or a team like Lazio and try to shut them down and counter that way that's that's a completely different proposition from going into a Provinciale and you know defending and countering there you need to you need to have control of the match against a team like Bologna and I really don't think that Juve really did at, at most points in that game until Quadrado scored. And then Bologna, everybody, everyone at Bologna was like, crap, we're not in it anymore. And then, and you know, the rest of the 20 minutes were just kind of playing out the string. But that, that was a really dangerous position to be in. And Allegri has to go for these. Ha, Allegri has to go for the kill earlier instead of just, just, hanging on to these one goal leads against talent wise far inferior teams bologna has been playing very well this year they were in the top half of the table going into that game but you've you it's you've got to be taking these the, the initiative in these games yeah one thing i'll just add to that is that it's really quite remarkable i was just looking at the table that um you know okay we're now six points off uh atalanta in fourth place it's it's really quite remarkable to think about that because you know we think of I can think of two completely winnable games against uh, Venezia last week and then Udinese on match day one. Uh, you know we win those two games. We have well we're on thirty five points then only two points off uh, Atalanta. So it's like you know the season has gone pretty pretty poorly. But even then it's like been two completely avoidable results and we would have been very much within an acceptable range or yeah well acceptable distance from fourth place uh, in atalanta well we were talking we were talking last week about how with the loss or with the draw in venice i should say juventus has dropped nine points from winning positions you get those nine points back and they're sitting in the top four you know they're on 40 points instead of especially considering the fact that two of the that that also means that yeah AC Milan are down one point and Napoli are down three. So you're really redoing the table at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It, instead you're in this jumble of, of Roma, Fiorentina, Juventus, Lazio from fifth to eighth. And they're kind of just changing, you know, a spot or two with each passing week. And yeah, it's just that that's the biggest thing is that now you're really seeing the effect of those drop points come into play now that it's very much not about the the title it's about getting in fourth place and obviously as we as we talk it's you know it's right before the final fixture of of 2021 and Juve will go into it six points behind Atalanta in fourth whereas like we said they get those nine points or at least hell even two-thirds of those nine points that's six points right there they're tied with Atalanta and as much we're, we're talking in a much different tone than we are right now. And, and like you said last week, that's been a recurring theme because they, they threw away a lot of points from winning positions last year as well. It comes down to, you know, just the, the focus. And I, I really loved the way we're, we're going to talk about him in a little bit for other reasons. But Matthias Delict was, was just a unit back there on Saturday. And, and more than that, he was leading. You know, uh, you know Bonucci was also... Was also was was doing his fair share of, of of leadership in that in that game, but but Delict was you know 
there was one point in the first half to like dug out a, a, a low cross for a corner and turned around and started yelling at people. Cause he was like, I shouldn't have had to deal with that. What the hell's going on here with you guys. And that's something that I appreciate and something that, that, that is really needed in this team because a lot, you know, so much of the leadership is, is, is going or has gone. And it's that lack of focus that has been killing us in these situations and in those points. And even, even like I said, you know, Rabio got his pocket picked a couple of times in really, really awkward positions and was lucky not to, not to give away a goal because of it. There was some really bad passing in the midfield that, that triggered some pretty dangerous counters that Juve were really lucky. So that even with a two, even with a two nil win, even with a clean sheet, which are becoming a little more common, thankfully, than they had been for the rest of 2021, Juve are still making those elementary mistakes and they've got to get rid of them if they're going to be moving themselves forward as we go along. Yeah, I'll just say one more point until we move on. It's weird to think about Juventus right now, knowing what last season was like and to a lesser extent what the Saudi season was like. They have statistically the third best defense, which I think entering the season, any of us would have been more than okay with. But because the offense has been sputtering so much, Juve's goal differential is only plus eight. And when you're looking at just kind of the the same amount of teams that have scored around those goals, it's a Bologna team they just beat. It's Torino. It's Sampdoria who have more. Udinese has more. Empoli has more. I mean, it's not exactly a murderer's row of the top teams in Italy who have scored more goals than Juventus. So, yeah, the attack, as we know, has been struggling for a good portion of the season. And obviously, uh, there are going to be some transfer rumors involving potential people who probably won't arrive because the attack has been so bad. Yeah, the January transfer window is not going to... If there's any movement in the January transfer window, it'll be something like, you know, uh, what you touched on yesterday on this on the page, Danny, of like the, like a, an early return for Ravella, uh, especially if we manage to get one of the one of the midfielders out of there, like uh, like the Arturs and the Ramses, then you will then you, you need a body there at that point. And so I think that'll you know, if you manage that, that'll happen. But I don't you know, there's certainly not going to be a Dusan Vlaovic move for Juventus in January. If, if Vlaovic moves in January, he's in the premier league. And, you know, even then if he's, you know, I, I, I'm not particularly gung ho about the possibility of that in, in the summer, but that's a whole different kettle of fish, but yeah, there's, there's not Allegri. Allegri was very much correct. I think when he said in his pre-match press conference, or was it the post-match press conference? I forget which one of the press conferences it was where he was like, this is the team. Because I, I think that's I think he's absolutely correct. I think this is the team with maybe one or two minor tweaks. Well, we we uh, we don't expect much to happen in January. And how's this for a transition, Edward? We don't expect much to happen in January, but there could be some big things happening over the summer. And a few hours before we hit record here, our good old friend Mino Raiola decided to open his mouth. And sometimes, or most of the time, good things don't don't happen when that happens. So. Uh, he very much threw out the the line of, hey, you know, Matthias Delict, eh, he might be leaving Juventus this summer. And judging by the look on Sam's face right now, obviously he's a big fan of what Raiola had to say. So I will first turn it over to Chucks. Obviously Delict leaving, knowing who his agent is, is always going to be a possibility. But are you buying at least this of what Raiola is saying? Or are you very much in the camp of, I think, a lot of Juventus people or Juventus supporters, where it's like, let's just wait and see what actually happens. Uh, mostly the latter, and uh, that was a smooth as butter transition indeed. Thank you. Um, that you made. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, mostly the latter. Um, to me, it's just I think the timing is a bit odd. As far as I know, the uh, Licht doesn't have any upcoming trans or um, contract negotiations coming up. I mean. I don't know off the top of my head when his contract is expiring. I'm just kind of looking. He's, he's got two more years after this one. Right. Okay. So that would be, uh, was it 2024, three, four. Uh, four, four. So, I mean, that's still a pretty substantial amount of time left over there. So, you know, you would think, okay, you do this kind of uh, blow in the air talk like that Rayola is doing. You think you'll do that. Um, I don't know within 
12 to 18 months of the contract expiring, you know, that negotiation as a negotiation tactic. Uh, it seems a little bit strange to do this. What is it? Two and a half, uh, almost three years before his contract expiring. So the timing is very strange. Also, of course, we're only just uh, was about six, seven months away from when he had when Raiola had, I think, arguably one of his worst career kind of embarrassments of the whole Donnarumma saga. Yeah, with Milan and just, you know, Milan, PSG, Donnarumma, that whole uh, ordeal, which, uh, like I said, I mean, I think he came out very, very embarrassed in that one because Milan called his bluff. I mean, <laughs> and rightly so. I think they they were excellent in doing that. I think, you know, I really commend Milan for, um, frankly, excellent negotiation skills there. Um, and yeah, they came out winners on that one. So, you know, I think that he took a little bit of a hit on that one in terms of his reputation. Uh, Mino Raiola, I'm uh, talking about here. So yeah, timing is strange. And I mean, I don't really see what he stands to gain from it at this point, uh, both Raiola and De Ligt. Yeah, and also, you know, the common the common rumor is obviously uh, De Ligt going to Barcelona. Well, they're clearly borderline bankrupts. So, you know... <laughs> I mean, they obviously can't afford him. So it, it, the whole thing just seems, I don't know, just just odd. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't really put my finger to it. Yeah, who would be able to afford him? Well, probably PSG. I mean, when, when can't they? Manchester City, but I mean, they're pretty well stocked on defenders as well. I mean, yeah, Real Madrid, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing seems weird. Uh, then, then again, and, and also just another thing that I think is kind of odd, I, I would think that Raiola is mostly concerned with uh, with uh, Erling uh, Holland, I think Holland Holland uh, from uh, Borussia Dortmund, the uh, Norwegian superstar. I think you'd, you'd be more concerned with him because Dortmund, uh, I mean, they're clearly not going to win the title. They're out of the Champions League, uh, which I really didn't expect, actually, that the uh, sporting uh, would knock them out. And, you know, it just seems to be kind of the common story with Dortmund where they just kind of run out of steam around halfway slash two thirds of the way uh, into the season. So um, yeah, I would think he's putting kind of all of his attention on selling slash marketing him. So uh, yeah, that, that again, just adds to the fact that just overall, just very strange timing. I can't really see what kind of strategic ploy he's using to try with the lift, but I don't know. I don't see him. I think it would just be very unrealistic for him to leave this summer. I mean, in the summer after that, who knows? I mean, I don't know. But this summer just seems, uh, yeah, I don't know, weird. I'll There's- jump in right before Sam and, and say it, it. the timing of it is weird, but especially so, as Sam just said, Delict obviously just played one of his best games of the season, and he really sounded like a guy who is emerging as a leader on this team, which, you know, if if you're talking like that, and especially in Delict's case, if you're learning Italian and very good Italian, I might add, as quickly as he did, that doesn't sound like a guy who necessarily wants to leave, does it? It doesn't. And and if he stays, that's the saving grace is that he has become, is that he has fallen in love with Juventus and understands uh, the, funda- the fundamental aspect of the agent-player relationship, which is that the agent is the employee of the player and not the other way around, which is unfortunately how a lot of, the, uh, how it works with a lot of players and agents in, in global soccer. Chucks, you said what you, you asked, what does Mino Raiola have to, to gain from moving Matthias Delict this summer? I'll tell you exactly what he has to gain, which is that FIFA has just proposed a cap on agents' fees for transfers that, if it was in place, would have dropped the amount of money that he got from a guy like Paul Pogba when we sold Pogba to Real Madrid. He got Raiola got about 50 million euros out of that. He would have gotten maybe five. So, you know, it's not like he's, you know, not like he's eating ramen all the time, but for a guy like Mino, that's a, that's a bottom line that that he wants to. So, I, I I think that's a particular. I think that that is a major reason why, because I think if he wants to avoid that and cash in on two guys that are very very that are going to be very very high fees with Delict and with with Holland, I think he'd want to do it in one summer and before FIFA can really implement that uh, that change, which frankly I think is something that is desperately needed in the game because these agents especially guys like mendez and riola are just getting out of control with just their ability to like i mean george mendez practically runs wolverhampton 
it, it, it's, it, it is absolutely ridiculous how much power these guys have when they're, when that's not how the business is supposed to work. Like, you know, you look at American sports. Yeah. A guy like Scott Boris for major league baseball, he's got a lot of clout, but he is not, you know, it's not his impetus that's moving a guy, you know, at, at, a at, at, in, from one team to another in, in major league baseball, the way that the impetus of a guy like Mino Rayola can, can potentially move a player in, in European soccer. Like I said, I, I think the saving grace could be that Delict is just that attached to Juventus that he has become really one of, you know, one of us and wants to stay. And if he does, and if he does, there is nothing that Mino Raiola can do to stop him because, like I said, Mino works for Delict and not the other way around. That being said, even if Delict has that genuine affection for the club, if we don't make the Champions League this year, I am it, it concerns me one on a competitive level for Delict. He's gonna want to play in the Champions League regardless, and two. If we lose out on that money, Delict becomes your most fungible asset to make up that shortfall. At which case, the team might have its hands tied. To say nothing of the fact that Rayola will go nuts trying to move him into a Champions League club. So that's which is why getting in the top four is just so, so important. I wouldn't go so far as to say he's gone this summer because I don't, you know, that, that remain, does remain to be seen. I think that if we miss the Champions League, I do think he's probably not going to be a Juventus player next year, unless he himself, again, loves the team so much and decides that to, to commit his future to it that he really doesn't care. But all options become on the table if, if Juve miss out on that money for the Champions League. I mean, that's the, that's the complicated part about all this, is that on one end, you've got Mino Raiola, who says a lot of things and a good portion of the time they don't necessarily come to fruition, but on the other end, of the and, spectrum, and if you look and sorry to interrupt you, Danny, yeah. but if you look, when you look at this summer, sometimes he tries stuff and it doesn't work. Like with yeah. on the Ruma this year, he was, I, he was completely expecting Milan to, to knuckle under. And then he had to, to scramble to, to, to find them a new club. Really? Yeah. But yeah. sorry, continue. That's all right. Yeah. And, and on the other end of the spectrum, you've got, Juventus's financial situation, which sure they just fully approved the the capital gain or capital gains the the, uh, the b- b- blanking out increase yeah the capital increase capital gains is a whole different thing uh, which we, which we've heard <laughs> which, way too which much we were, we've been talking about we've on heard way too much about episode. lately yeah, please consult your CPA for more on that yeah capital gains. I I should let the money talk go over to you Chuck so that's what <laughs> well oh we have an account account as well for our business anyway. <laughs> But you've got Juve's whole financial situation. And obviously, like Sam just said, if there is no Champions League, you're missing out on millions upon millions of euros. And what's an easy way to make up those financial losses that you would be missing out on if you're in the Europa League compared to the Champions League? Well, you've got a, a very desirable asset in Delict who has a report who has a reported $150 million release clause or million euro release clause. So that's the other thing that terrifies me when yeah. it comes to delict is the fact that there is in fact a release clause in his contract, which Juventus never did until that deal. And that always had me scared. And as much as, you know, Chuck's, you're saying, you know, well, city has, has, you know, defenders, whatever they have shown that they are not afraid to buy whatever player they want, no matter where he's going to fit on the depth chart. I mean, you just look at all the wingers they have pep will find some kind of way to make them not play the position. I mean, you, and if you think about it, they just paid a hundred, what a hundred million pounds for Jack Grealish this summer. You don't think man city is going, Oh, Matthias delict at 22 years old, 150 million. It was already an upgrade over a couple of their center central defenders. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, I know Raiola threw out there Barcelona and I enjoyed it because he's like, in one or two years, Barcelona will be back. I'm like, yeah, well, they also need the money to be back. So who knows? But I don't know. It Whenever Raiola does something like this, it's just completely unsettling because you don't know if there's any kind of 
ground to stand on because like you just said, Sam, there's been the Donnarumma saga, but there's also been so many other cases where he's been completely right and forcing a club's hand. So I don't know. It's just, yeah. But on the other hand, I mean, we, we can't be naive in this and say that we didn't expect. No, no. I mean, signing like, like getting someone like Iola um, part of your kind of club in your club environment. Um, Yeah. Unfortunately we can, we can, we can't say that we didn't expect something like this. Um, And also, but the other other aspect of this that we haven't talked about yet is the fact that if Matthias Delict leaves, what the hell happens to the center backs? I wish Sergio was here because he'd be he'd be going Rugani, Rugani. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) That's the that the at that point your center backs are uh, uh, the center backs you have on your roster are Giorgio Chiellini, Leonardo Bonucci, and and Daniele Rugani. Demaral is. Um, Atalanta is practically a lock to pick up Demerol's purchase option, so that's not an that's not an op, uh, a possibility. You know, it, it just again with with the with the the way that this has has gone with the the roster position, the roster building, and the front office just incompetence. Like here we were two years when we started this pod two years ago, and when we started this podcast in lockdown, we were still saying it that. The, the center back position between Demerol and Delict was probably set for a while after Chiellini and Bonucci were done. Now, potentially, we have nothing behind them. Maybe Radu Dragosin, but he hasn't even been playing on loan at Sampdoria. Like, and that shifts a lot of the transfer uh, of the summer transfer market if Delict does leave. I mean, sure, you, you, you. Say, say hypothetically, you do sell Delict and you end up being able to flip that money into somebody like Dusan Vlaovic, then you still have no, no depth in center backs and you have to redirect some money to from somewhere to at least get a warm body there to say nothing of somebody of quality. Yeah, and, and who knows how much Dusan is going to cost once it's all said and done. Yeah. And he, he, he ain't going to be cheap. He ain't going to be cheap, and it, and Fiorentina could conceivably wait until the World Cup with Serbia playing there, and that'll be even more. Adding another layer onto that, our stadium's going to start closing again in Europe because the newest wave of the pandemic is really starting to take hold now. Like, n- none of this is... It, there's so much uncertainty, obviously, in this world, but, like, like the way that Juventus went from pretty set for the foreseeable future at center back to what the hell is going to happen has been really remarkable. And frankly, it's the kind of thing that, I mean, uh, if it say, sure, if you want to say that Fabio Paratici was the chief architect of that problem, then the head has already rolled, but if not other heads have to, because that's just, that, that's an incompetent, that, that isn't a level of incompetence in the front office that can't be had, especially in a financial situation like this, where you have no wiggle room. Lugani might just be in for a, uh, an unexpected uh, promotion in case uh, it does leave. Uh, it's kind of like when you, uh, your admin person to, uh, when your IT guy leaves and then you look at the secretary or the admin guy and say, well, time to learn some uh, Adobe uh, reader. <laughs> I can safely say that if Rugani does get a promotion up the depth chart, that we are going to have nothing but 60 minutes of Sergio Romero singing his praises. So, you know, you have that to look forward to on a potential episode of the old days speaks podcast. It, it would be a pretty damn, damning indictment on indeed the succession planning of, uh, of the upper management, yet another kind of nail in the coffin of just uh, yes. how, uh, how far we've not come with our you know management in general or how far they've fallen ah same thing same thing. <laughs> Sorry, all right addition well, by subtraction and, yeah. and meanwhile beppe marotta still has inter on top of the league even after all that it, that in, that they had to lose player wise this summer remind me again whether or not cristiano ronaldo was worth that man leaving and going to our most hated rival yeah, Bep's done some good work there. Not gonna. Don't like Inter, but you gotta you gotta respect the job that Bep's done. Yeah, all things considered, because he's done because he's he's one of the best executives in Europe, and mm. you know what he did for us was remarkable. What he's doing with Inter is is equally excellent, and it was all avoidable. <laughs> From a Juventus standpoint, it was all avoidable by not forcing him out of his job. 
Chucks, you ready for another seamless transition? Smooth as butter, baby. (laughs) Well, speaking of remarkable jobs, I think it's safe to say we'll wrap things up on this note. The job that uh, Juventus women's manager, Joe Montemuro, the good old Australian Italian, which that is a a fun accent to listen to if, if you get a chance to listen to an interview with Joe. But the job that he's done in guiding the Juventus women into now the Women's Champions League quarterfinals coming out of a group that that included one of last year's finalists in Chelsea and one of the other best teams in Europe in Wolfsburg. And I think it's safe to say that the vision or the the theory that Joe Montemoro was going to make this team go, you know, potentially become a more dangerous team as Europe has definitely been confirmed. And who knows what the, the draw is going to look like. I know this comes out on Monday and the draw is on the same day, so we won't get a reaction to the to the quarterfinal draw. But Man, he has gotten this team to to play his kind of ball in a short amount of time, and he worked his way through that group stage about as well as you could do it. And, I mean, when you think about it, they were far and away the third-best team in that group in terms of just, you know, talent and expectations. And for a few minutes there uh, on the final day of the group stage, they were in first place. So Joe has definitely earned – the respect that he's gotten quickly in Turin and man, he, he, like I said, he has done a phenomenal job in such a short amount of time with this team. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's difficult to, it's difficult to think of getting that step up. I mean, you know, you, the Italian women's game is, is still so nascent compared to a lot of other places in Europe, but to think of, you know, what those, the first couple of years of the team's existence with Rita, Rita Guarino, and, and what she did with the team and what she is doing at Inter. What is it with really good people going from Juventus to Inter? No, these stop days? it. Stop it. I don't know. I don't know. But, but I mean, but, you know, Inter, Inter had their first season in Serie A and they finished eighth. Guarino's got them up to fourth already. But like you said, Montemoros, he's, he's made a, a stylistic jump. It does really it does really, really help that the teams, especially in midfield, can just, you know, put a, you know, you know, Joe can, can, you know, get up and be like, hey, Rock, watch me put a rabbit out of my hat and just pick out a bunch of names. And the quality does not diminish whatever combination he chooses. And it also doesn't help to have a, a woman like Barbara Bonansea and, uh, and another in Cristiano Girelli up front. It's, you know, this is, this is a good team. Italy is is still very much a step behind uh, the the rest of Europe, as we saw in the last couple of of editions of the Women's Champions League in the old straight knockout format, when you know Juve just kept on getting awful luck, getting you know Barcelona's the Barcelonas and Leons of the world in the first round. But yeah, he's turned this team around in Europe very very quickly. It's it's a little ironic. It's kind of what what Andrea Agnelli wanted you know the Sari move to do for the men's team and it, it ended up not doing it. And I think, you know, you, you, you compare the two sides. It's because the women's team is a better built team than the men's team. They complement each other. They bring the best out of each other when they're out there. And like you said, they've got, Joe's got them playing his game, his brand of football very, very fast. So it, it is really, you know, I wish I could see more of their games live because just the availability issues with, with the women's Serie A here in, in the U.S. is, is tough. Uh, and I also, for, for the record, I really do love, because I was actually, I was watching today on, M, on NBC a women's Super League game in, in England between Manchester United and Everton. And it was, it was a home game for Everton. And they were playing with like, you know, a tiny little grandstand on the far side of the field. And then if you look p- past one side of the field, there was, it was literally like an open field. And meanwhile, the club has been furnishing the J stadium for the, for the women whenever they can, you know, like the, they, they're, they're big, they're big champions league game, home games, champions league games were in, were at the Allianz. And that's a big thing. And I love that the team is treating them that way. I remember years ago reading that they were trying to find a place to, 
build, you know, a second mini stadium so that the women in the U23s could use them. Um, obviously, with the financial situation of the team right now, that's probably out of the question. But if we can figure out a way to do that, I'd love it because they deserve it. This has just been a really, really good year for them so far, and I'm really proud of them. One thing that Joe has also added as well, and he mentioned, I know I've mentioned it in a few posts over the last week or two, the interview he had with Juventus's YouTube channel, it was like a 20 minute long interview. And I mean, say what you want about it being, you know, hosted by Juventus, but it's really informative. And he talked about just how one of his main things that he wanted to prove, not only tactically, but up in the head, the, the mindset when they go into a group with Chelsea and Wolfsburg, it's like, Hey, we've got a shot. And, you know, he's, he's got the chops, you know, he, he managed against Chelsea, you know, for a couple of years with Arsenal, he's, he's managed in the champions league with Arsenal. So he's, he's gone down this road that not a lot of Juventus players have. So I think just him improving, not only the tactical and playing their, you know, a, a more, a style that's better for, for the European game, but also just that sense of belief that he really wanted to make happen. And obviously it, it played out and that's, you know, as much as the tactics are there, if you if you don't believe you can potentially do it, then you're going into it with with no hope. So, yeah, he's he's really just he's he's hit all the right notes when it comes to what a manager is supposed to do. And I think the evolution of this team comes really at the right time. Just this kind of progress, I should say, well, progress and evolution comes at the right time, given that from next season onwards, women's uh, say uh, is going to be uh, professional for the first time. So I think just that. Evolution of Juve in Europe and then the, the league becoming professional from next season. Uh, it's, a, it's a perfect storm because then I think we'll be in a good position to take advantage of just that strengthening of the league behind the scenes and just, yeah, just the, the, the improving improvement in the status of the league. And then hopefully, you know, as well as we're doing better in Europe, um, that will just kind of continue that progress. So, uh, yeah, well done uh, to uh, to Joe and and to the entire team, of course. Definitely, and we saw them get drawn against Barcelona last season in the in the uh, round of thirty two. And I, I think it's safe to say if Juventus gets Bar- gets Barcelona again in in the quarterfinal draw, it's a little little bit better of a situation. So. On that note, we'll wrap things up for today. Thank you guys for listening. As always, if you want to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, feel free to do so. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to rate us and leave us a review. So for Sam and for Chucks and for Sergio, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.